How the DM Sowed Seeds of Deception to Completely Fool the Party I've been plotting to run a False Hydra for months. False Hydra is basically the silence from Doctor Who, except if it eats you, everyone forgets you ever existed. And I implore you, if you're planning on running one, don't just throw it at your players with a few sessions prep. Take your time, plan things out, and the payoff will be substantial. Here's how I ran my False Hydra. I plant seeds. Firstly, my PC's backstories are important to pepper with events you can manipulate. I ran a one-shot for two of my players, a halfling druid and half-orc paladin, and a couple of friends new to D&D. I told them it was fine that they use their characters they're playing as in the campaign, as it was a one-shot and it didn't matter. I began telling them that the druid and paladin had been traveling together for some time. I said they'd become known as the Holy Trio, as two halves made a whole. They're religious characters and the druid had a pet mouse, so there's three of them. The Holy Trio, they liked it. The game played out as expected, and at the end, the druid and paladin are knocked out, and I end the session with the same words I began our very first session with. It's at this point, the druid and paladin say, oh, this is a prequel, and they brought this new knowledge into the campaign game and began playing as old friends traveling together. Was lovely. That's seed one. Months and months ago, the PCs of my campaign took out a bandit camp that was threatening Nashkel, a nearby village. They succeeded in their endeavor and found a map indicating that another village nearby is next to be attacked. The bandit leader told them there was another group of bandits to the north. Upon finding out this info, the players killed the leader off. The map itself has a giant X on it, with the word next scrawled on it right on top of a village called Gullikin. I like giving my players physical copies of items, so I printed this out and handed it to them, complete with wear and tear. This is Seed 2. The players generally don't think ahead with encounters and tend to almost get themselves killed nearly every occasion. This is fine, as they tend to find quite a few health potions on the enemy's bodies. You would never guess, but these have even been known to find them inside the stomachs of wyverns. They don't think much of this and assume it's the DM throwing them a bone. It's not. It's Seed 3. Things occur and the players don't immediately head off to save the village. They'd rather head down into some mines and help solve a mining crisis. This is fine because there's no real time limit on the village about to be attacked because it's not really about to be attacked. Down in the mines, they get distracted, blow some things up and find themselves crawling through a caving system and fighting for their lives. They're very close to the Underdark and want to get out, but they blow up the main route back. After a week or so in-game of searching, they finally emerge into the sunshine. It's at this point that a few players have some commitment issues and can't make it for a few games. The players that can make the next few sessions are the Druid and Paladin and also the Ranger. Perfect, I think. They have a chat and discuss their options. They've surfaced quite close to Gullikin, the village that's under threat from bandit attack, and want to at least warn them of what's going to happen. But they've also got an NPC who's trapped in a permanent hold spell. Best course of action they decide is for the Druid, Paladin, and Ranger to make their way over to Gullikin to warn them, whilst the rest of the PCs take the NPC back to Nashkel, where they know she can get healed. The next session, the Druid, Paladin, and Ranger head to Gullikin, and I let the seeds grow. When they arrive, it's late, and although there are a few people wandering around, the town seems quite empty. I describe them walking up a main street where they can see a tavern, a church, various houses, and a grand-looking home. They stop someone in the street to ask where the mayor lives, thinking the best course of action is to warn him directly. Ranger, hello there, where does the mayor live? Villager, mayor? Haha, <laughs> why we've never had a mayor here in Gullikin. Ranger, is that so? So what's that grand-looking building over there? Villager, that? Oh, well, that's the mayoral home, but we've never had a mayor. Ranger, 
So, who lives there? Villager. Uh, I don't know, nobody. Paladin. DM, can I insight check him? DM, sure. He appears to be telling the truth. Paladin. What? That doesn't make sense. Villager. We've never had a mayor. I'm sorry, I have to go. The villager runs into the tavern to get away. At this point, the party are highly suspicious and think everyone in the town has been charmed. Half right. They head over to the mayor's house and begin investigating. The doors aren't locked and there's a layer of dust everywhere. The inside looks quite lived in, though not for some time. There are some personal effects and items pertaining to a mayor's position. Upstairs, there are two bedrooms, a child's bedroom and a larger one. Inside the larger bedroom is a small painting of a family. Someone definitely lived here. The party are confused and trying to work out why the villager is lying. I tell them it's getting late, what would they like to do? Tavern for sleep. They enter the tavern and speak with the two bartenders. They've apparently run the tavern together for 25 years. They're a married couple and very much in love. Whilst the husband is off making the party supper, the ranger begins a terrible line of questioning to the wife, hinting and indicating that the village is going to be attacked by bandits. Obviously, this terrifies her, and she asks for proof. How could they possibly know this? The ranger says they defeated a group of bandits a week or so ago and found a map, and that the map had this village marked off on it. He hands it over to the wife, and the player gives the physical map to me, the DM. A seed now sprouts. What the players don't know is that I made two copies of their map and ripped and wore them down in the exact same way. They're identical in every way, except the one I have has the bandit's camp marked with an X. There's no X over Gullikin. When the player passed me their copy, I look at it and pause. Then slowly, in character, I ask him if this was some kind of joke. Ranger. What? Wife. I said is this some kind of joke? There's no marking on Gullikin and the bandit camp is on the other side of the country. Ranger. No, it just… I stealthily switch the two maps and hand back the updated version. There's silence at the table, as they all look down at a map that has an X marked in a completely different location to where they are. Ranger. Wait, what? Paladin. Something weird is happening here. Druid. I don't like this. The players begin to look at one another in confusion. Why are they here? Why is the map changed? In a huff, the wife refuses to serve the party anymore. The husband comes out with their meals and berates them for playing games with his poor wife. He says they can eat their supper and then it'd probably think about going straight to bed. The party hastily agree. The party have two rooms rented out, but given the circumstances, decide they're probably best all sleeping in the same room and keeping watch. A sensible decision. Nothing strange occurs in the night and when they wake in the morning they feel rested, if a bit paranoid. They collect their belongings and a seed sprouts. DM. There's another bag in the room you don't recognize. Players. What? DM. There's another bag in the room that doesn't belong to any of you. Druid. Was it there the night before? DM. No. Ranger. So did anyone come in our room at night? DM. No, you didn't see anyone, and you kept watch. Ranger. So where's this bag come from? DM. I don't know, you'll have to open it and find out. The paladin and druid stand well back and the ranger approaches the bag. Ranger. It's going to be another mimic, I know it. I explain that the ranger opens the bag and finds it belongs to an adventurer. It's got basic supplies in it. Looks like it belongs to a cleric, maybe? There's a bit of holy material in there, some religious books. As he searches, he finds some letters. DM. The letters are addressed to the druid and someone else. You don't recognize the other name. Druid. They're letters for me? DM. You and someone else. There's two names on the letter. Someone called Sophia. Paladin. Do you know a Sophia? Druid. Do I? No, I've never heard of Sophia. Who's Sophia? DM. 
Maybe you can read the letters and find out. There's five letters total. I've created them too. I split them up and hand them out to the players. I also tell the paladin she found a drawing and hand her that. The letters seem to be from a mother and father writing to their two children, one of which appears to be the druid. Every letter is signed off with mum and dad. The druid is very confused at this point, because her backstory says she's an orphan who grew up on the streets of Baldur's Gate. But as the letter progresses, the players discover that there are various inconsistencies. People who were once spoken about aren't mentioned again. A lady had two sons, but now only has one. In the next letter, she never had any children. Finally, the last letter is signed off with just, Mom. There's silence around the table. Druid. Oh my god. Do I have an entire family and I've just forgotten them? Ranger. I have no idea what's going on. The paladin opens up the drawing and looks at it. It shows a half-orc and two halflings. It seems to be crudely drawn by someone much younger. Each figure is labeled with the names of the druid and the paladin. Underneath the other halfling is Sophia. Written at the top of the drawing are the words, The Holy Trio. More silence. Druid. Can I check my own bag to see if I have any letters? DM. Sure, you open up your bag and see a single letter addressed to yourself and Sophia. You open it. I hand the druid's player one final letter. Written on it in shaky scrawled handwriting is, Help! It's eating us! Druid. Oh, God. And let me tell you, at this point, I'm holding back the joyous laughter. This is what it is to run a false hydra. The party are aghast and confused and questioning everything, everyone and everywhere. They want to know what's going on. They're rereading the letters, checking their character sheets, talking it through with one another. They don't understand. They head downstairs and are greeted cheerfully by the barman from the night before. The players want to speak to him about what's going on in town. They have many questions, but they first apologize again for upsetting his wife the night before. Barman. What are you talking about? I've never been married. Players. What? DM. And I think we'll end it there for tonight. So I genuinely think I nailed the last session and was super excited to run this one. However, the latest session did not end at all like I thought it would. I assumed it would be more fact-finding, which is what happened. But they also ended up burning down the entire town. Seriously, here's what happened. A quick side note, top tips for this session was having a playlist with key moment-building songs programmed in and allowing the players full reign of the narrative. I didn't try to railroad them into doing what I thought was best, I left it up to them. So at the beginning of my sessions, I usually ask, okay team, what the bleep happened last game? And then let the players explain to one another what they remember about the last session. I find this really useful for two reasons. One, to see just what their interpretation of what happened the last session was and make adjustments to my own game if needed. Two, to make sure they didn't forget anything crucial that I might need to remind them of. So they immediately begin suppositioning about what the heck was going on in this town. Mentions of the fabric of reality messing up, possible dream-related monsters being around, and potential lingering magical effects of previous adventures were discussed. I usually just put on generic fantasy music when playing games, most frequently the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. However, this week I set up a playlist for this game. Whilst this was going on, I played my first song on the playlist, something I wanted to use to set the scene. It was an orchestral version of the Lavender Town song. It worked quite well, I thought. One thing I didn't mention in my last story was one other item that the ranger found in Sophia's backpack. He'd found one half of a set of sending stones. For those who don't know, sending stones are a pair of magically linked stones that can be used once per day to communicate 25 words or less between each other. Essentially, a mobile phone with limited minutes. The letters found in Sophia's backpack had indicated that the sending stones had been used regularly for the parents to communicate with the sisters. Basically, I was weaving in that the druid and her sister were quite close to her parents and would regularly chat on the sending stones. 
So, after listening to the Lavender Town song and getting thoroughly creeped out, we begin the game. The ranger immediately pipes up and says, I'm going to use Locate Object to find the other half of the Sending Stone. Literally perfect. I immediately put on the 28 Days Later theme and describe their journey through the town. It's morning, overcast. The townsfolk are going about their day, but it doesn't seem like a very busy town for its size. As they walk through the streets, they see that many shops aren't open. A glance through the windows confirms it. The shops seem empty and derelict. I'm paraphrasing my descriptions here, but eventually they take a left, and I describe three small homes in the hillside. Imagine Hobbiton, but with square doors. Each door is painted a bold color, red, yellow, and blue. The Locate Object spell indicates that the other half of the Sending Stone is behind the yellow door, and as they look at the garden, it's messy, overgrown, and apparently abandoned. At this point in the song, we're reaching the part where the guitar begins to kick in, something which I have always adored. It really conveys a sense of, oh shit, everything's gone wrong. As the guitar plays and the music swells, I describe them walking through the garden and seeing a name next to the door. It's the Druid's surname. At this point, the paladin asks me to put a different song on, because 28 Days Later is beginning to put her on edge. I comply and put on Koyanis Katsi, because it's dark and foreboding and over an hour long, so I don't have to worry about it for a while. Anytime I'm not playing a specific song, I pop this back on. The party opt to explore the house. Obviously, the door is unlocked. Inside is a large room. There's a kitchen, living area, a fireplace, stairs. What you imagine you might find in a small person's home. Nothing is out of the ordinary except there's a layer of dust everywhere and food has gone moldy. It's clear nobody has lived here for some time. The ranger is told that the spell leads up upstairs, which is where he goes. The paladin and druid investigate downstairs. The druid finds some scarves that had been knitted. One has her name on it and the other is Sophia's name. The paladin looks at a picture on top of the fireplace. It's a painting of a family. Two halfling parents with twin children. Both of the children look like the druid. Paladin. Do you have a twin? Druid. I think that's Sophia. Cut to upstairs. The ranger finds two bedrooms. Inside the main bedroom are a bed, wardrobe, bedside tables, a vanity mirror with a handheld mirror, and bits of costume jewelry on it. Just normal everyday bedroom furniture. The bed is left unmade though, like someone was going to come back to it but never did. The spell leads the ranger to one of the bedside tables. Inside is the other sending stone. Further inspection of the room reveals writing paper. The same paper used in the letters found in Sophia's backpack. Cut to downstairs. The druid's background is an urchin. She's got a token to remember her parents by. This was in the form of a locket with a picture in it that she assumed was her father's face, but according to her she never knew him. She holds up the locket to the picture on the fireplace. Druid. Is this the same man? DM. Yep. Druid. Ah, brilliant. Let's see what the ranger is doing. The pair join the ranger upstairs and they explore the second room together. It's different from the first room. There are two single beds in it. It's decorated with pictures of animals, trees, and wildlife. There are also a few religious books dotted about, but everything seems to be on display like the room has never been lived in. Druid. Well, that would make sense since my parents apparently only recently moved to Gullican. My sister and I didn't come to stay yet. We should leave. Not knowing what to do, the party feel the need to get out of Dodge. Druid. Can we just leave? Everyone seems happy enough. I think we should just go. Ranger. But we need to find out what's happening in this town. Paladin. We could speak to the next door neighbor. Ranger. What's my bear doing at this point? DM. Your... what? Ranger. My bear? Companion? DM. You've never had a bear companion. Ranger. Oh, for bleep's sake. 
Then begins a conversation in which everyone at the table explains to me about the ranger's companion that he had, and I keep making out I have no idea what they're talking about. Out of character, the ranger asks if this was something he's forgotten as a character, and I, myself out of character, told him I had no idea what he was talking about. When did he ever have a bear companion? I did this for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because I'm a dickhead. Secondly, because I wanted to keep up the sense of strangeness we had at the end of our last session. Ultimately, the best thing about any terror or suspense is the not knowing part. The brain comes up with more terrifying things than a writer ever could, and I knew that in a session that would potentially give a lot of answers, I'd have to do something to step up that weird factor. So at some point during the game, the ranger's companion got eaten, and I chose to forget him just like a character would in-game. Eventually, the players stop questioning it and get down to solving the mystery. They chat to the next-door neighbor who confirms what they suspected, that she thinks nobody had ever lived next door for as long as she's lived there. Paladin We should go to the church. The local priest might have answers, or could tell us about who's missing in town. The party head back to town to try and find answers. I put on the Resident Evil movie theme and describe them approaching town. They notice people milling around, going about their day, but I tell them they do notice that occasionally they'll see someone about to enter a shop, and then stop and look confused, like they were wondering how they got there, before wandering away. They arrive at the church and speak with Father Procrastor, the local priest. They ask him questions about the population, if anything strange was occurring. Other than Farmer Jack's oversized cabbages, the priest said he couldn't help them. Gullican is a small town, and not a lot happens there. Suddenly, the paladin has an idea. Paladin. Do you have a town census? Procrastor. Why, yes, I suppose we do. But that'll be over in the town hall. Paladin. To party. If we can find a written record of everyone in the town, we can prove to everyone that there are people missing. This was an excellent idea that I hadn't factored in at all, and it led the game down a very different path, and ultimately the complete destruction of Gullican. They find and enter the town hall. It's near the center of town, bunched in amongst other residential buildings and shops. The party enter and are greeted by Diadora, who I describe as wearing horn-rimmed glasses and a haircut that made them feel like if she were eating out at a restaurant, she'd almost certainly ask to see the manager for some arbitrary reason. However, smooth as anything, my party wins Diadora's stern nature over and ask if they could view the town census. She gives them directions down a corridor, and then first door on their left. As they walk down the long corridor lit by low candlelight, they pass by many rooms and some offices. Most are completely empty, completely abandoned. There's a few people working away, but they seem completely unaware at how empty the building seems to be. In the records room, the party rush to find the census report. It's packed with names of people who ought to be living in Gullican. There are far more names in this report than the party have seen in town. They work out that there are dozens and dozens of missing people. The final blow is finding the druid's parents' names listed as the most recent people to move to town. Ranger. Wait, can I use primeval awareness to see if there's something in this town doing this? DM. Wait, what? What does that do again? Ranger. I can sense whether any aberrations, celestials, dragons, elementals, fey, fiends, or undead are present within one mile of me. DM. Yes, you can absolutely do that. Ranger. What do I find? DM. There's an aberration in this town. The party are quiet. There's something doing this, but they don't know what, and they don't know where. At this point, I'm playing the sunshine theme, because they're doing well. But I press pause for a moment and explain something to them. This is the first time there's not been any music playing in the background, and I think it adds to the moment. DM. Suddenly, you can hear a loud silence. It's a sudden profound silence that makes you feel like noise has recently stopped. Deafening silence, as they say. But you don't remember hearing anything. Druid. So, like, the background noise of everyone in the building has stopped? DM. No, more like a sound you weren't even aware of, that you'd completely normalized, that has ceased for a moment. Druid. 
I think everyone in the building has disappeared. I then begin playing the music again and ask the party what they want to do. I'm now completely ignoring the momentary silence I described. The silence was, of course, the false Hydra eating someone new. I was also hoping that it would help hint that whatever this thing was, the power it had was sound-based. The party want to learn more about the history of the town. They begin looking through newspapers and records but can't find anything untoward. For all intents and purposes, this is a small town with not a lot going on. The latest newspaper's headline is, Farmer Jack Confident About His Cabbages. They decide they want to find a library, something that might have information of something that might have happened in the town. I put on Requiem for a Dream, and the party exit the records room and head back down the corridor. At one point, they stick their heads into one of the occupied offices. Where's the library? There's one upstairs? Fortuitous. They rush back to the reception and ask Diodora the way to the library. DM. There's never been anyone working at the reception desk. Party. Bleep's sake. DM. There's a set of stairs to the left, though. They lead downstairs to the basement level, and also upstairs to the top floor. Brilliant! The party race upstairs and find the library. I describe what sections they see. History, bestiary, mythology, fiction. The party jump on the historical records and can't find anything. There are no records of anything strange happening in this town. They're at a loss. Ranger. There must be something that can help us work out what this creature is. DM. I know, if only there was another section you could read through or something. The party are quiet for a moment whilst it sinks in. Suddenly, they are scrambling through the bestiary and mythology sections of the library. I ask them what they're specifically looking for, because they don't know the name of this creature. They explain they're looking for the symptoms of the town, people under a thrall, memory manipulation, that kind of thing. Great. After a few successful rolls, they find an entry entitled False Hydra. I tell them it sounds exactly like what they're looking for. I pop on the Watchmen trailer version of Smashing Pumpkins, The Beginning is the End is the Beginning, and literally read the first few lines of the monster stat block and of the Goblin Punch article. Common wisdom holds that false hydras come from the ground. They spontaneously originate as undifferentiated masses of flesh, potatoes that sprout from no seed. Supposedly, they germinate in response to lies, and that each falsehood causes a false hydra to swell larger. The false hydra enters a town through a humble enough method. Fattened on worms, it has been growing upwards these last few days. Weeks? Years? But it's only now broken through the soil. It emerges in a basement, from behind the jars of fruit preserve, or pushes its face up through a broken cobblestone, and then it begins to sing. While it sings, it is ignored. It just creates gaps in your attention, and then slips through them. It is subtler than invisibility, and more reliable. But of course, none of this is noticed. While it sings, the hydra exists in our blind spot. The lair of a false hydra always lies underneath the city it chooses to feed on. The hydra burrows underground, sprouting its head like a plant, typically under buildings or in their lower floors. It frequently moves, creating large cavernous areas prone to collapsing. It only surfaces if the city can no longer feed it, and only long enough to move to its next target. Paladin. We could put our fingers in our ears. Ranger. Yes, that's all well and good, but is there anything in there about how to kill it? DM. I don't know, dude. There's a lot of info. Roll to see if you find another book. Natural 20. DM. Bleep's sake. Okay, hang on. The song is closer to charm, suggestion, or even phantasmal force than anything else. Anti-charm magic might affect it. None of this is proven. There aren't even any pictures on it, but the false hydra might be visible in mirrors. The added degree of separation could work. Paladin. We could put our fingers in our ears to fight it, maybe? DM. Could be an idea. Ranger and Druid. How would we fight it with no hands? We wouldn't be able to hear each other, etc. Paladin. Okay. The party decide they're going to find mirrors to fight it. The ranger immediately runs into the bathroom and smashes up a mirror in there. 
He comes out with bleeding hands holding the largest shard up. The druid takes a look at him and decides they should run back to her family home to pick up the hand mirror and the vanity mirror they saw in there. Druid, I think we need safe mirrors. Back they go. I put on a remix of Nightmare on Elm Street because things are heating up. Whilst they're running out of the town hall, I tell the ranger that as he's glancing through the mirror, he sees that the town hall is actually quite dilapidated. There are holes and breaks in it everywhere. He takes note of this but does nothing. They get to the druid's home, grab the mirrors, and return to the center of town. Now that they're all armed with a the mirror, they look through them and ask what they see. I describe the town hall again as looking broken and dilapidated. It has holes in it like something has been bursting out. It's the only building in town that looks like this. They race back inside. As they look around the reception, they look through the mirrors and see a hole in the floor next to the desk. There's blood around it, as if someone had been dragged through. Druid. That'll be the receptionist we don't remember. DM. Who? Then the party begin talking about how they should just set the entire building on fire and leave. This would be problematic. I explain they can't just solve their problems with fire. They ask why, and I explain that fire doesn't go down. If the Hydra was on the top floor, then sure, but they've got evidence of it being underneath them. This doesn't deter them, though. The gang's motto is generally, if in doubt, set it on fire. And it appears this is no exception. DM. Druid, make a wisdom check. Druid. Shit. 13. DM. Suddenly, you feel compelled to walk down the stairs to the basement. Nothing you can do will stop you from doing this action. You begin walking down the stairs. Druid. Uh, help? Paladin. What? I grapple her to the ground. I have the paladin's strength versus the druid's dexterity, and luckily the paladin wins and pins the druid to the ground. The ranger looks into the mirror and can see one of the faces of the false hydra staring at them. He asks to attack it, but I tell him if he's not looking at the hydra in the mirror, he forgets it's there. Right. Fine. He attacks it at disadvantage and is lucky enough to hit. The hydra lets out an ear-piercing screech and I tell the druid the spell has been dropped. There's also a deathly silence again and for a moment they can see all the holes in the building. Paladin. We should plug our ears and fight it. Druid. No, we're setting this place on fire. We can run up to the library and records room and get loads of paper. Ranger. Yeah, we can plug it down the holes and burn the building down. Paladin. Okay. DM. Wait, that's ridiculous. You need a better accelerant to properly light the wood. Druid. The paper is an accelerant. Look, there are probably some lovely curtains we can use to make a fire. We're doing it. DM. Fine, give me some high rolls. 15, 17, and 21. Shit. Fine. The party raise the alarm and tell everyone in the building there's a fire. They make sure the place is empty before setting fire to the entire building. With those rolls, the entire place goes up. I now roll some dice. DM. The town hall goes up spectacularly. It gets bigger and bigger and more fierce as it begins to consume everything inside the building. The town hall is made of wood, of course, so it begins to roar with flames. Party. Yay! Did we kill it? I roll some more dice. DM. You watch as the flames grow larger, and you realize the building next to the town hall is now on fire. Party. Oh? Rolls dice. DM. The building on the other side catches fire. Dice roll. DM. You watch as within a matter of minutes most of the buildings in front of you are on fire. The fire is growing larger and larger, and is beginning to spread throughout the whole town. Party. Shit. What followed was the party attempting to evacuate the entire town of Gullican. They raise the alarm, work with the townsfolk, help people leave. People are panicking as they pick up what belongings they can before fleeing the raging fire. Some of the townsfolk aren't so lucky. I describe halfling people running in the streets burning and on fire. As the party look upon the burning desolation of what was once the town of Gullican, they realize they may have gone overboard. The priest they'd spoken to that morning walks up to them, his face blackened with soot and ash, tears streaming down his cheeks. He utters one word. Why? Ranger. Look, just be safe in the knowledge that we saved all of your lives. Paladin. I think we'd better leave. 
And that's the story of how my party defeated a false hydra and caused the mass evacuation of Gullican. As they galloped away back to Nashkel, I described them being hit with a blast of psychic energy as they hear an almighty scream coming from the town. I describe their memories becoming scrambled, and they remember certain things, like the ranger's companion and the barman's wife, but they still don't remember Sophia. Thanks for the time, everyone. I hope it was as fun watching as it was playing for me, and sorry again for the wall of text. Wow, I was on the edge of my seat. Do you incorporate music into your games? Have you ever tricked your players like this downright devious DM? Were the party the most gullible players in the world or what? They didn't have an inkling as to what was transpiring. Then again, with a DM like that, better and smarter men could try and better and smarter men would fail. Comment your reactions and suggestions in the comments section below. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel, All Things D&D, for more amazing Dungeons & Dragons content.